welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Hope you are well. And today I'm speaking with Alexander Love. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, We're going to be exploring the evolutionary impulse and how we can invite that into our work as coaches and how it can empower the work that we do. And we'll explore developmental theory. We'll explore how there's two threads of development, an ascending thread and importantly, a descending thread that actually this journey into wholeness, as Alexander will share, and I, I resonate with this, this journey into wholeness includes, well, means including everything within us. And so I think it's a really beautiful conversation. The first part is us going into what I just described. Then we go more into the developmental model behind Alexander's work with clients. He's a coach. And so you might want to refer to our conversation, my conversation with Terry O'Fallon first, because that's who Alexander has been inspired by. And I think what's really nice in this conversation is that Alexander's worked, coached people at these later stages. So we really spend some time exploring the kinds of moves he makes with clients at these stages. So you might not, you might find that sometimes we're referring to numbers as stages and so you might want to check out the model the stages model of development so you can see what we're referring to or listen to the podcast with Terry O'Fallon i think that there's enough in there that you'll know what we're talking about so anyway I found it a really inspiring and rich conversation. Alexander is a beautiful presence. Just to say a few more words about him, Alexander is a is a coach, an acupuncturist, a cranial sacral therapist, and he has uh, taught quite extensively with the Newfield Network and has developed their um, training for coaches to build their coaching business. He's worked with individuals and groups of over 14,000 hours in in total doing deep transformational work and with groups and individuals. And I think that that kind of experience will shine through in his knowledge and his his wisdom in the conversation today. So again, if you want to check out our work, you can head to coachesrising.com. You can see the online trainings for coaches we have and you can join our mailing list of, of awesome transformational coaches based around the world by signing up. So you'll find a sign-up box on our homepage. That all being said, let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Alexander Love. So, Alexander, it's great to be with you today. I think we've got lots to talk about. Uh, how are you doing, first of all? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm, uh, yeah, glad to be alive. Mm. Um. I'd love to talk to you. You're a coach yes. and uh, you're connected with the Newfield uh, uh, actually, Institute. Can you actually remind me of the name? Newfield uh, Coaching? Newfield, Newfield Network. Newfield Network. That's it. Sorry. My apologies. <laughs> Newfield Network, of course, and uh, one of the great coaching schools in the world. And so, But I, we're going to talk a lot about your work today. And I know you are also a developmental coach. So maybe you could just start by giving us a kind of introduction to what you do, you know, like what's the work you're doing as a coach? And then from there, we'll unpack it further. Sure. So basically what I do as a coach is I am sitting with another person and I'm holding this person 
in the context of our very, very long history, um, could say at least about 14 or so billion years of, of history. And my sense is that what's happening is there is a moment of interaction where whatever this creative project is that we're all a part of, that that creative project is, is unfolding and frothing right at the edges, right mm. in that moment between me and the person that I'm working with. And so what I'm doing is I'm wanting to hold this individual so that they can essentially inquire, discover, and essentially recognize their own wholeness. And what I mean by that is recognize that their pain, their suffering, their experience of separation, the jagged ed edges, the ecstatic experiences, that all of these things in the context of what we might call true wholeness are included. We can't have wholeness and then have separation because then that immediately negates the wholeness. And so um, I, I'm spending moments with someone uh, in such a way that they can discover how to embrace their pain and embrace their experiences of suffering in the context of wholeness um, so that they can realize that they're already free without simply transcending their experience. So they, we can realize we're already free by just rising above agony. But what I mean is realizing that we're already free um, while also embracing our agony. And I'm, I'm doing that within a developmental context, which means um, the ways in which we make meaning in the world um, change as we grow up. And as our consciousness develops, we become, uh, the world becomes different. And that means that how we learn to embrace our pain may be different. What we need may be different based upon um, the sort of developmental perspectives that we're, we're looking through. Exquisite. You kind of like touched in on about like four or five of my like, uh, you know, core passions in what you just uh, opened with there. So it's really beautiful. Um, yeah, one one thing you started with, which I really like is is like this, you know, sense of evolution and evolutionary, the evolutionary impulse, so to speak, and how, you know, it's something it sounds like you're tuning into in each moment with the client. Is that is that like something that you're like attuning to. That's right. So, so, you know, this brings in the, um, this, this brings in the, the notion of a, of a evolutionary context in coaching, which, you know, can look many different ways, depending on what perspective or set of perspectives a coach is looking through. But the way that I'm orienting to it is that we are a living historical embodiment of the last 14 billion years that we're, we're literally the creative process of, uh, you know, subatomic life or subatomic sub activity. And, and, and we're also an embodiment of life processes from, from cells to, to fishes and plants and, and all of these things. And we're this, this self-reflective consciousness. And so, 
to, to me, when I'm working with someone, it's the entire cosmic process working with the entire cosmic process. And we're at this kind of living edge, this kind of breathing edge of, of creative potential. Um, and the coaching moment is a moment to be able to consciously enter that, that interactive experience and, um, and do something, find something uh, deeper, invite inquiry in a way that is um, rich and nuanced. And what I find is that, you know, the, the interiority of, of the, the, the interiority of, of who we are has such profound potential that very often um, in our modern culture, we barely scratch the surface of, of what we can discover in terms of um, qualities of being ways of orienting to existence, ways of being in communion with each other. Um, I think there's just so much potential there. So to get to, to, to just make sure I get to your question, absolutely that evolutionary impulse is, is front and center and the evolutionary impulse by nature is very young it's very active it's very what's next it's and and i want to say that because the receptive impulse is also radically important and depending on the developmental level of the individual i'm working with active and receptive may be foregrounded or backgrounded so while there is a, an embodied orientation to an emergent territory. I'm not, as a coach, automatically foregrounding an active evolutionary impulse as the point. I'm not trying to get someone to evolve because there are certain stages of development where that would be antithesis to their own evolution. And so there's also a mutual embrace of other what I like to call evolutionary gestures. There's there's the receptive impulse, there's the active impulse, there's the reciprocal impulse, and then there's uh, impulses of of deeper integration. Yeah. Um, again, like there's like uh, could probably talk for hours here. Um, because I, I well, first of all, I like that you bring in this receptive and active. Because for me, it seems like the, that if you don't have that receptive piece, it just seems such a powerful instigator of evolution. Because otherwise, it can be the the there's an efforting, there's a change agenda. Um, you know, it can your 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 change agenda is co-opted by parts of you that feel insufficient and broken, and and it just seems like there's this you know, this evolutionary impulse has had just a far greater intelligence of what's needed and what wants to emerge. Anyway, I notice, in, I know in my own coaching, I kind of had to get over that sense of hubris around that I could like make my client develop and grow. And actually, once I like let go of, uh, held that receptive space, and even the word, the metaphor of being a container, you know, became important to me. 
then then real magic would start to happen like you would see this impulse coming into being and i just want to like you can I, i'm sure you'll riff on that but there's something about for me and i'm curious what you think about this the you know this notion of like there being an evolutionary impulse and that uh, there's a sense of wholeness that we we are that can include our pain and brokenness that is a very powerful how can I put it like like a lot of coaches a lot of people just don't hold that as an as a principle or a context and that in itself I think reduces what's possible so if you hold that in your way of being if we if we were as a species were to hold this as as something uh that that, that we that we are or that, that is what we live inside of then then I think it immediately activates this this sense of potentiality much more, and part maybe that's part of this paradigm shift that we need to go through. That yeah, we've kind of like this idea of wholeness as a lived experience is not something we 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 relate to. I think collectively, I think um, separation and parts is something we know. There is redu- scientific reductionism and uh, you know the rational being privileged over uh, other aspects of us which again has a problem solving reductionist bent to it so uh, yeah i'm just riffing on what you're saying and i'm inspired and i just see where you where you take it yeah so you know what comes up for me as i'm as i'm listening to you is i guess what 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 arises in me is is in you know in a coaching context in a human context one of the things that I think is so important in the context of development and supporting development is, is very, very deep love, deep love and embrace for the life impulse and that the life impulse is impulsing with or without our conscious awareness being placed upon it. That there is uh, a developmental shift that we might see in coaching culture where it would be easy for many coaches to make the leap from, you know, their cur- a current place of, of holding space to, oh, and I can hold space and there's an evolutionary impulse. And if I give my life to that and I give my attention to that and I try to help people see that, then that will take our uh, our culture to a new level. And that's beautiful. And a 15-year-old is not going to be quite yet developmentally ready to be saying, I'm going to put all my, I'm going to, I'm going to place everything in the evolutionary impulse. And like, that's what I'm going to dedicate my life to. Cause they're, they're not, but that life impulse is still bursting through every atom, every cell and every inch of their being. And this is something that I think is really important within the context of developmental coaching is there is the reach upward, outward, forward, that impulse to transcend, to, to break beyond the known into the domains of, of, of the, what's mysterious and frothing and not fully formed. 
But then evolution always reaches down. And that's the love impulse. That's, that's the impulse to recognize the wholeness in an organism, in a being that in no way recognizes their own wholeness, or they do, but in a partial way, or they don't at all. Maybe they're even speaking in ways that are hurtful, harmful, dangerous. And I think that this is often in evolutionary circles or integral circles, often the inclusion part is uh, less valued. And it's not even, for me, it's, it's not even just intellectual inclusion. It's that felt sense of the love that's pouring pouring downward, pouring outward into, um, it's like from the cosmos inside of us, that deep love, that profound realization of wholeness that pours down and embraces everything. Internally, we can do it through parts work. And if we do that in a, in a whole, complete, deep, continuous way, then it gets translated into other human beings and in, in whatever state or perspectives that they're, they're exhibiting. And so mm -hmm. that, that's sort of what, what comes up for me. And it's like that way of nourishing, nourishing evolution through deep allowing um, and, and, and a process of embodied love. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you bring in the descending as well, I, I was like, you know, I'm from my like mid twenties. Really, Ken Wilber's work particularly uh, actually helped me through a big spiritual crisis, an existential crisis, and uh, so I'm very grateful to him. And and yet, like, yeah, you know, I fell into some of the traps with that thing, very ascending, uh, uh, bypassing, um, yeah. perhaps espousing more than. And it being lived and and then very ascending you know let's so just just sense of like i want to develop i want to grow and and you know i think through maturity and through my own uh humility from being broken open being you know that if i think there's this sense of like life if you if you, that life will that love that love will come in you know and yeah it will it the the kind of these moments in life that you, in the, in the immediacy of them, you think this is just a bad thing. It's my heart's broken. I'm feeling in lost and in deep pain. Yeah. And then you recognize afterwards, there was a grace of right. love inside of those, you know? Um, right. And I, I guess I'm curious how you, you know, how you bring that love in to your coaching work and how you help your clients to, to yeah, find that sense of wholeness to, to begin to, I don't know, like allow the parts of them that perhaps weren't allowed. Like how, what's that process like? I mean, I know we're generalizing a lot here. It's probably very unique for each person, but sure. I wonder if there are certain ways. Yeah. Sure well, so I, you know, before I was a coach, I was studying as a, as a Chinese medicine practitioner and um, I chose a particular domain of, of Chinese medicine that I guess some people would call the inner tradition. So there's some forms of medicine that are more externally focused. And then there's some forms of medicine that are more internally focused. And 
of all the different teachers that I had, both Western and, and from the East, um, they all agreed on, on many things, but there was one thing that, that stands out to me here, which is that the, the cultivation of the practitioner, or in this case, the cultivation of the coach is, is the key. And so for me to help someone else embrace their own wholeness, it's not something that I can say because I can tell you that you're whole and feel it and feel broken and it won't. So in, in Chinese, in Chinese medicine, we have this notion of um, what's called Yi, which is spelled Y I. And it's a character that um, the um, Chinese characters, they different from, from English. Um, in English, the, the little squiggles that are letters, like the letter A or the letter C, they, they don't mean anything. They, don't, they only mean something once they're together to make a word and then to make a sentence. But Chinese characters, they are images that have their own symbolism. And so the thing that's beautiful is for me is that they, they, offer, they offer us not exactly what something is, like, oh, D-O-G, that's a dog. They offer us images that can invite us to dream a little bit. And so there's this character, Yi, which shows an uttered musical note over the heart. And the heart character is simply a bowl with three strokes. It's sort of this implication of a receptacle that would be receiving something, insight, light, how you could... You could think about all kinds of things that the heart could receive. Now, this character, Yi, it's translated as intention. And there's this notion of, one, the character could mean, I am speaking the uttered musical note. I am speaking the intentions that are living in my heart. That would be one way. But if we kind of take it further and look at what does it actually mean? What's my experience? when someone is speaking their intentions from their heart, because I could say something with my voice and not really be embodying the intention. Oh, I'm fine with this. And, you know, anyone listening can tell, I don't know if he's fine with this. Oh yeah, no, that's fine. No, no problem. Yeah, no, it'll be all right. But if I'm instead in my heart and I'm becoming a resonant note, my whole being is becoming a resonant note. And then I'm speaking while embodying that resonant note. When I tell you how deeply I love you, you can feel the transmission of the heart. Furthermore, all I need to do is say, hello, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And I've basically transmitted that depth of love that's living in my heart. And so with all of that said, to me, the answer to your question is to face all of my own brokenness and discover that it was never broken and discover that it was part of fullness itself. Um, my my uh, life around that began when I was in my early 20, when I was 20, my father was killed and I was way too young to be able to know how to deal with something like that. Um, I was already prone to youthful uh, masculine transcendence and always being joyous, even when I wasn't. 
And so it was a perfect opportunity for me to dissociate a little bit more from life and, and probably not a little bit more, probably a lot. And over the years in, in learning how to embrace the, the pain of that loss, that's one of the main catalysts for me that showed me front and center. First, I went into spiritual practices that helped me transcend and transcend and transcend. But eventually that there was something that wasn't, I, there was something missing there. And so then I eventually began looking at internal practices of uh, we might call shadow work of, of how to find the parts of the self that are um, not okay, or at least they don't think so and learning how to embrace those. And one of the things that is so beautiful for me is that what I found is that when we are able to help a part of the self get what it needs. And of course, I'm being very general here. There's a lot of possibility for what a part could need. But when a part gets what it needs, there is, in, in my experience, there is a, uh, an explosion of wholeness. There's, there, there are qualities of being that flood the system that are kind of difficult to, to put into words. Ju we become juicy. We become full, we become rich. And, and that's something that you, you can't just tell a client you're whole. It's something that's oozing from your whole being and yeah. somehow that we're both soaked in it. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that because I think that there was, there's been a lot, especially in the coaching field of espousal around like you're already whole, you know, this idea you're already whole and there's not, you know, you're, it's... Uh, it's just a things where try it after a while, and mm. I recognize in my own journey what you're talking about of of um, this qualities of presence that can open up once I you know do some parts work. I've used a lot of like internal family systems, and yeah. but to notice the 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 melting of those parts as they're seen and loved you know that's what i like about that process it's not you dropping any change agenda and it's about it's about presence or they call it the self bringing bringing non-judgmental love to these parts that they never received and then there's this melting and then you know the juiciness of of sensation often lights up and then there is this these qualities of presence for me like love or um, different types of love or or strength or uh, a gnosis uh, power that can come online and 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 what i like is i found that too it's like that's where there is a transmission almost like where where being and knowing come together as a as an experience and i'm i'm speaking from this experience of of love or power or wholeness you know and it's a felt sense of there's nothing missing in this moment. That's right. That's right. And then I think it transcends, you know, there's a possibility in the coaching exchange that it, it transcends the, the, the individuality sense of the coach. Like I am a coach and I'm entering and I'm doing something and I'm that, that, that all falls away. And it's just the frothing edge of existence is unfolding and we're all soaking we're all soaking in these qualities that um, 
we just simply have access to and that they can move us, they can open our hearts and they can transform us together, coach and coachee. Because again, from the context of wholeness at some level, there is no separation between the coach and the coachee. I mean, yes, there is a place where there is, and there are certain boundaries that are set up and certain agreements and like that can still remain. But within in that, within those agreements and in those boundaries, there's another thing that's happening where it's simply, in, in my experience anyway, it's simply just life is lifing. Life is unfolding and um, it's quite, quite spectacular. Mm. I, yeah, lo- I love that word unfolding. Yeah. Um... And I'm curious, you know, you, you, you mentioned Terry O'Fallon's work and you've also said that you've worked with some people who are at the um, more mature, I don't know what the word would be, like at the, I don't know, the higher stages, but I'm, I'm just curious for you, um, you know, like what your experience, maybe we can unpack what your experience has been working with people in the subtle, higher subtle to, to meta where stages. And, um, I think, you know, a lot of coaches listening here will be, you know, relating to at least, um, um, the subtle kind of experience strongly. And I guess I'm actually, if I'm totally honest, it's from my own personal interest, <laughs> which is what I love, love about this podcast. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm curious, let me say like what, what that, what Terry's work has brought to your understanding. Yeah. So, um, you know, for me, um, I'm going to, I'm going to respond to your question, but back up just a little bit to kind of get, get there. You know, for, for me, the sort of heart of my coaching training was, was through the new field network and what they offer is, what they offered me was this understanding of um, what I like to call the three longs. Um, you, you referenced it um, a moment ago when you, uh, you you were talking about being and knowing. You were you were talking about two of the longs. So the um, the first long is epistemology, which is the knowing. It, it's the 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 lens the the lens through which we know, and this includes our our perspective taking, our capacity to, to make meaning in life. And then the, the, um, uh, another one of the three longs is ontology, which is what comes into being um, along with the way in which I'm going about knowing things. That we talk about them as if they're two things, like, oh, there's my lens. And there's some traditions that say the lens is king. And there's other traditions to say the, you know, the ontological objects, like this is the truth. And what, what, I, what I think is probably there's a, an integration, right? You have this, this lens through, lenses through which we're knowing the world. And then there's that which is coming into being. And then the third one is the practice, the the methodology. And it doesn't mean we sit down in meditation, although if I do sit in meditation, it is a practice that will um, bring something into being and will also likely change the way I'm I'm, uh, viewing the world. But we're practicing all the time just the way we move in our in our bodies is an act of movement an act of uh how we act 
how we are in the world. And so I felt, I feel that, you know, Newfield kind of opened me to this ontological tradition, which really shows us the nuances of these three longs and, and how they, um, how they form what is and what we think we are. Now, to me, oh, go ahead. Is there a- yeah. Um, um, why do they call them longs? I just missed. Oh, I call them the three longs because ontology, yeah. epistemology, and methodology, they don't call them the three longs. It's just what oh, I call yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just shorthand for these are ridiculously long words that are like <laughs> yeah, usually, okay. used, usually used in a, a super theoretical context. Right. And, you know, even my, me who likes this stuff, I tend to f- almost fall asleep when I'm reading articles about this stuff. And yet it's, it's, it's juicy. It's, it's mm. with us. It's, it's our fabric. And so to me, developmental coaching is a simple, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an offspring. It's an offspring of the ontological tradition because we have this fundamental recognition that if I can look at how I look, if I can look at how I'm making sense of the world, that gives me an incredible amount of freedom. And that's what the ontological tradition, that's one of their their gems as they say, well, wait a minute, let's not just try to get everybody to evolve because we think that evolution is amazing. Let's step back and realize that that's a stage of development speaking. And then all of a sudden I'm free to be able to, like you've been pointing to, to kind of let, let all of that go and then just be in the moment and let the emergence emerge. So then for me, the, the developmental coaching piece, it's looking at a specific expression of epistemology, of how we go about knowing. It's looking at, at least Terry O'Fallon's model is looking at our uh, stages of perspective taking and how those, how our sense of I develops and evolves. And that is one uh, facet of the epistemology and ontology or of the knowing and the being um, growing up or the way I see the world and what I understand as reality. Um, unfolds. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of give that like a little over hmm. overview of how, for me, how the the ontological tradition and how the Terry O'Fallon's model or and developmental models in general, how um, they kind of, uh, for me, they kind of live as a um, together. So it sounds like I, I want to get a little clearer with that said, a little clearer on your question. It sounds like you're interested in. Um, some of the late subtle, my experiences with people working through the late subtle and into the metaware is that because I do tend to get a lot of clients that are um, that are in those later stages, um, including the the late subtle, which is also I would consider later stages in the context of uh, our history and and sort of modern culture. You know, even those late subtle stages are very um, what we might even call the postmodern stage, which often for one reason or another in the integral world sometimes gets a little bit of a, a, a negative push against it um, is a very advanced, very beautiful uh, stage of perspective taking. Um, so I just want to get a little clearer on your question and then I'm happy to dive in and go. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm curious, you know, if we, if we like zoom in on what you might encounter yeah. when you're working with people who are making, and I agree, you know, like I know, I, I recognize that um, beating that the postmodern uh, gets, you know, green, 
yeah. mean green meme and all those kind of phrases that um yeah there's an analogy to it almost and but i yeah i'm just curious sure. what kind of I, I mean yeah what would be a, a more specific question it would be yeah of course you know every client coming in is kind of living through their own world and their own self related to those developmental transitions and and yet i wonder if there are kind of like more universal yeah struggles that that are yeah that would have people then define that as being well that's a stage yeah yeah there there are there are and so you know in in terry's model we have this notion of tiers there's the concrete tier the subtle tier and the and the metaware tier now each tier has four stages in it. Now, if we understand that what this model is exploring, one of the things that this model is exploring is looking at, at, at how our, our sense of I grows up, then we can see that within a single tier, the very first stage of that tier, we have no idea who we are. We have no idea who we are. So let's just say, um, the, the concrete tier, the first stage is you're, you're a newborn. You have no, we have no idea who we are. And then gradually as we grow through those four stages within a given tier, we begin to develop a sense of self. By the time we reach the fourth stage of a given tier, we have now found a uh, a kind of stability with who, who I am. I know who I am. Now, what happens then is that the ceiling of the, the one tier becomes the ground floor of the next. So I've reached a pinnacle. I've reached a, uh, a sense of, of stability, of structure, around who I am and what is true. And then I poke through that ceiling and I'm all of a sudden, I'm an infant again, but in a world that I know not. And so what, what we have in these transitions um, that's, that seems to be universal is that there is a, is a, a moving back and forth and, and I'll see this all the time, uh, and I'll, get, I'll give an example in a minute, but I, I'm still trying to just kind of be more universal here, but I'll give mm. you a subtle and metaware example in a minute. But there's a, a, a moving back and forth between I know who I am, and then I break into this new place. I have no idea who I am. Everything that I thought I was is melting away, or it seems like it's no longer true, depending on where the transition is happening. You might see this, for example, with, um, you know, maybe late teenagers, you know, or somebody that has been in a very strong uh, religious structure that they were very identified with. And then all of a sudden they realize, wait a minute, maybe I'm something like maybe I'm, I have my own thoughts. Maybe I'm not the, 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 the construction, the, the, the structure of the, uh, the group. And then this can be quite painful, quite agonizing, because my whole identity was wrapped up in those rules and those truths. 
And now all of a sudden there's something new, but it's not formed. So I can feel the inspiration of the newness, but it's the opposite of stability. And as humans, many of us tend to like stability. So taking that universal um, kind of picture and then applying it to um, the, the late subtle into early metaware, what we get at the end of the subtle is uh, subtle tier is we get this, um, it's a very stable self. I know who I am. I, I was looking for who I am and now I know. I know all these systems. I know all these structures. I can talk about parts of the self and I can talk about evolution and I can talk about evolution of consciousness. And I kind of have done all this introspection and I, I know all about the Enneagram now and I know about this system and all of that. And I figured out who I am and this feels good. It feels true. Um, I, my subtle self is, is solid. And then all of a sudden I poke through that ceiling and I arrive at a new floor. I'm at a ground floor where all of a sudden there's something that is occurring that is not all of that subtle certainty that I had. And so what begins to happen is this is where the melting starts to happen. You won't hear of an adolescent say, my uh, conformist structures are melting. They're not gonna say that kind of thing. But you might hear someone who's moving into the early metaware start feeling like everything is falling apart. Everything that I thought I knew, maybe integral theory is made up maybe internal family systems is is made up so for for those listening i'm sure you have a bunch of systems that you love and so just for a moment imagine i'm not saying that this is true or false i'm just saying imagine for a moment that all of that ground that you've developed and understood for you know many of us for decades all of a sudden it feels like it's it's empty it doesn't, it's like, it's, it's meaningless. And so we, you know, we often idealize the metaware because it sounds so like other, it sounds so mysterious. It sounds so something like enlightenment. And yet very often what happens, especially in the, in the early metaware, the first two metaware stages, um, and especially the first metaware stage, it can be quite chaotic because everything I thought I knew is now melting and there's no very little, unless you find a developmental coach that's able to support, support you, there's very little social support for this kind of deconstruction to occur. Okay, I just reflect here on my own experience of uh, a time a while ago where I remember the floor being pulled from under my feet uh, and it was particularly, uh, it came in different directions, but one, all at once. And, and it was a combination of quite intense spiritual practice, uh, particularly at that po at moment doing a combination of like Buddhist tantric practice and then m emptiness practice. But, and then uh, what What really, I, 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 there's a point to this story. Like uh, I was reading um, theorists, brilliant theorists who were like contradicting, pulling the rug from beneath my 
my subtle uh, Id- Id- uh, identity, basically, the maps of who I took, what I took the world was, really at the core, you know, like, really, it sounded like, what is the nature of reality that I've taken reality to be? And um, it, 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 I remember, like, it was almost like I was holding onto, um, I don't know what the right metaphor is, a thread, and the more I tried to pull at it to get to certainty, the more it came undone. And then at one point, it just went, poof, I remember like I literally just went out for a walk one morning and, and like something opened up uh, like a veil and I'd done a lot of spiritual practice. I'd, you know, I had, but this was like, and it was doing me and it was incredibly terrifying. And I, and I spent moments sitting in, in this, like, you know, over the period of months being in void, void like experiences where, um, yeah, like a reverse foreground background reversal where suddenly like um the patterned nature you know uh how to say it like the patterned nature of reality perceptive phenomenological nature of reality became the foreground and and yeah. i um, I'm, I'm sure it's because it sounds like it could relate to that and and yeah. I, I guess i'm showing it because it's like it was it, it was very nihilistic you know it was a, it was a deeply unpleasant that's why i want to say it's not to say oh look at me it's more like exactly. as coaches we can often like idealize growth and right. uh, actually it was a completely terrifying experience that if that's i didn't i think if i didn't have my family and my daughter with me you know i'm not sure what would have happened actually that's right that's right and and so there's there's so many beautiful things in there um one is what you're describing um, to me is also why it's so important that developmental coaches understand the stage of development from which they tend to coach. Because if I'm coaching from the strategist or 4.5, um, whatever the latest subtle uh, uh, stage, whatever we want to call that, If I'm coaching from there, I'm going to be prone to foregrounding action, evolution, internal development, and growth. And what you're describing is a falling into a stage that if you push on that and tell it to evolve, it it just doesn't make any developmental sense because they're going into essentially an infantile state but with metaware objects, meaning they're, they're as clueless as a brand new baby. But the difference is, is the objects are things like awareness and forms of all sorts of very subtle presence um, and a perspective that is beginning to recognize the emptiness of language. And if you meet that unknowingly with your fullness of language and fastness and everything and da 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 we're actually not serving our clients. And this is one of the things that I've seen in some, in some circles where the people that are really, really into evolving, they just put themselves at wherever the top, whatever stage model they're looking at, they just put themselves at the top of it. And don't realize that often they're actually quite early still. They're at the beginning of, of, the, uh, of an, an evolutionary process. They're not at the living edge where they might, they might put themselves at the leading edge where they think that they're like, you know, 
they're right. They, 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 they've got, they've got it. They've arrived, but actually right above them, everything falls apart and it's the beginning of a new journey. Um, so that's the first thing that just occurred, occurs to me as I'm listening of how important it is to, to recognize sort of where we're looking from as coaches so that as Terry puts, we can take the roof off of development because as a coach, we don't want to have an unconscious cap on development when we're working with someone so that if we say we're willing to work with any stage of development, we really mean that we understand those stages so that if there's a stage that's beyond our own understanding, we know when to refer <laughs> so that they can get the, the, the care that they need. And then that leads to the, to, to the next thing that I was hearing in what you were saying is that part of what's needed in that transition is normalization and uh, supporting the human being in getting a social reflection that what you're going through is not crazy. What you're going through is a developmental transition. And here are some of the kind of challenges that that transition um, can, can contain. Because every, all of a sudden, every time everybody's talking, you feel like everything they're saying doesn't make it meaningless. And, and this is, like you said, it's not, it's not like uh, rainbows and uh, daisies and unicorns. And it, it, it's not like that. Because the daisies and the unicorns are all, are all getting deconstructed. And so there's, there's a feeling of a groundless ground. And the thing is, is the person hasn't, it's not until you get to 6.5 that then that metaware self is fully stabilized. And so this is just very, you just, you just have, you're flailing. Many people are until they learn certain practices to support them uh, through, through that transition. I'm curious what some of those practices might be. I, I just want to say like that normalizing thing makes a lot of sense because that was one thing for me that helped speaking to some wise people I knew that, you know, literally like said, yeah, you know, it's okay. You're not going crazy and you're not going to, you know, it's not going to disappear. Everything's not going to disappear. And, you know, then this question of time as well, like learning, learning to find trust in this groundless ground or that, you know, that there was, it wasn't a nihilistic nothingness but there was something actually there and that you know for me the the thing was like in meditation retreats where you have these experiences and but then they might fade because you know you, you you're still doing the interior work to be able to fully embody that and then suddenly it's like you can't get away from them wherever you go you know suddenly it's like you can't switch it off you know <laughs> so there's that there's a part of me that was like being resolved that was saying like i want to go back you know i want to go back to where i felt normal and right. um that never it just well it it didn't work like that so i guess i'm curious what you might say about that and also just these practices you mentioned you could maybe reflect yeah share some of these yeah. that people listening might yeah yeah resonate so, with so two things. One is that this can sometimes be, it depends on the person, but this can sometimes be where 
understanding a good developmental model can be helpful, but sometimes it, it won't be. And I'll explain what I mean. It can be helpful if the person that's going through this, if you can just say, hey, look, what you're experiencing now isn't final. Because it seems like a lot of human beings, most of us, it feels like wherever we are is it. And wherever we are in the context of being a verb, in the context of being an unfolding process, um, we're never, it's never it. It's always, there's always, we're a verb, we're, we're verbing, we're, we're unfolding. Now, that's a more active thing that, you know, the, the late subtle stages would get really excited about. Yeah, he said, I'm verbing and like, yeah, I'm growing and emergent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you can, if it, sometimes if there's trust developed with the client, you've seen them for a while and you're able to, or, or even you've just seen them in the moment, but you've able to develop trust, you can just let them know, look, this experience that you're having right now isn't it. This is just, it, it, things will continue. You're still growing up. Now, it will be helpful if they can believe you. <laughs> it can be unhelpful if they just immediately deconstruct anything that you give to them. So that's just that. Mm, okay? Right, yeah, yeah. I find with people that I've worked with for a while and we have an established relationship or in some context where there's an experience of trust in, in me as a coach, they're able to hear it, even though they want to deconstruct the model itself. Like they don't, they're not going to want me to sit here and explain the model to them because it's just going to seem ridiculous, just meaningless. But they can hear the truth in you're, you were growing before. You're not the same as you were when you were seven. You're probably still growing and whatever's happening now will look differently some other time. Now onto the, the next piece, because what tends to get deconstructed is language. Everything is made up. Everything they're saying is made up. Everything this person is saying is made up. These systems are all made up. Everything is made up. And it's, it can be a very, um, remember, we're, when we're talking about stages of development, this includes our perspective taking. This includes how we make sense of things. It's not just about meditating and having a state experience of emptiness, because you can be, you know, my 13-year-old can have a state experience of emptiness and they're not going to be in the meta where they're just having, an, an, they're, they're going to, so you have a state and then you're going to translate that state through a perspective. Here, the perspective is melting words. <laughs> it's deconstructing things. So very often what's harder to deconstruct are qualities of being. How do you deconstruct a felt sense experience of love? It, it, it's like it, the mind had, can't do anything with it. You either mm -hmm. feel the love or you don't. So coming back to what we were speaking to before, supporting individuals to sense uh, qualities, qualities of being that are nutritive, that are... Um, full and supportive, like love, for example, gentleness, um, fullness, warmth, luminosity, 
these can support the individual from, it almost feels like there isn't an infinitely groundless ground for a minute because you, you sense the luminous, you sense the love and you're like, oh, there's something to grab onto. And as long as they're like with it in an embodied way, then there tends not to be too much ability to deconstruct. Um, mm. If I say, hey, just love yourself, that may not land because you, that's, I'm saying words that they're going to say, well, that's all just made up. Love yourself. Mm. Here is saying, hey, just sit with me. Because remember, these, these first, this first stage is a receptive stage, just like a little baby. They're more, they're more receiving. They're taking in things. Hey, just sit with me. Let's just feel some quality of, of love here. I might even empower them by saying, if, if they're very much in the deconstructing mode, I might say, hey, why don't we feel love together? And you, we can even just deconstruct the word love and say that's meaningless. Let's just stay with the experience. Right. And a, a, a question that comes up is, you know, um, this we talked about parts before, and in a way, you might say, ah, oh, but maybe that whole thing around parts here is is irrelevant because maybe parts are more of a subtle phenomena. You know, I imagine part of that subtle growth is that you start to recognize that you have parts, you know, and then you start to, you know, then you start to be able to take perspective on these parts of you that show up. And then I, I just I just wonder um, if that would be a misapplication at that first stage of the metaware where, you know, maybe there's a part of them or is this where shadow comes in? You know, there's a part of you that's still wanting to deconstruct, you know, because I know in like some Buddhist Buddhist um, traditions, I know we're not talking about here, but they might say, oh, under application of emptiness here, you still, um, you know, for example, you might still believe in, in um uh, a sense of self that feels like things are nihilistic, right. you know, and that, yeah, so you need to do more. Now, I'm not saying that's the right path for people because there are pitfalls to that, but I'm wondering if, yeah, so I'm coming back, like if you might say, oh, part of you is wanting to deconstruct here. Let's just be with that, you know, let's hold that right. here. So a couple things there. Um, you're You're correct that, we discover parts of the self in the subtle, in the, in the last two stages of the subtle, because what we discover in those last two stages is what's called the subtle collective. The concrete collective are um, everybody sitting around the table at Passover, everybody sitting around the table at Christmas. That's a concrete collective, your family, your, con your family constellation. The subtle collective, among other things, um, includes um, recognizing parts of the self. When someone first enters into uh, a post-subtle tier stage, the, the construct-aware stage, um, in the beginning, they also might think that the deconstructing isn't just another part of the self. So they almost try to subtleize mm. the new self that's emerging. Now, um, what can start to happen as they continue to enter into this early construct aware, sometimes people, they get uh, 
they don't want to do shadow work anymore because they're in a trend they're in an early transcendent phase and it all just seems meaningless and they even if they try sometimes it's just like everything will just dissolve at, you know when they try to to work with it and so what i've found with folks here is that i have to um do a balance of supporting what we might call the leading edge work which is supporting them to uh flesh out this new territory and then if there's ever a little uh chance to to kind of venture into shadow work try to support them in doing that but knowing that it's sometimes difficult for people to do it in this early stage mm. because they're differentiating from that whole subtle tier but i do like to plant seeds um in clients that are going through this to say hey we might take a little break on doing shadow work in our coaching but someday we're going to need to come back to it someday we're it's going to feel okay to come back to it and there's other times where in a transition and um you'll you'll hear this in a in a client um within a 3 minute period where in 1 minute they're in the metaware and their voice is slowed down and they can't finish a sentence and all the words are kind of weird and they can't figure out what they're trying to say and then they in the next half of the sentence they drop into the late subtle and their voice speeds up and they start speaking very clearly and everything starts to make sense again and all of a sudden they're now speaking from that late subtle stage and then they go back into the other place and they're like but what and their voice they can't finish sentences and and you can see them and this is the beauty of Terry's model as you you can see in the moment how people are shifting through a range of stages um because really a lot of folks we like to focus on what stage am i at but really a, a real live human being tends to follow a range throughout a given day And so there might be moments when they may move into the subtle and you can help them unravel some shadow work. Mm. And then and then at other times with certain clients it's possible to stay in that early metaware and discover a way that they can do the work because what they're needing to learn ultimately without pushing is that inclusion is still part of evolution. It's just not what feels most natural when you're first growing to a new a new world is is usually what do you mean by that yeah that, you, well, yeah so it's just like um to think about it in terms that you know we've all experienced or many of us have if you're part of a very strict religious uh um group and then you realize all of a sudden that now you're an individual many people will push the religious group away or they'll push their family constellation away rather than include it right it's just natural to say hey i'm going to venture out on my own here and i'm going to discover who i am and forget about you guys you guys told me a bunch of lies now what i've seen is that if the collective doesn't put a roof on development and really supports the individual and can notice when they're growing then they often don't push away aggressively I saw this with our daughter with Santa Claus. You know, she was really 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 into Santa Claus and she was really 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 into fairies. She had a fairy station and she an altar and she would 
give things to the fairies every night. And in the morning, the fairies would always bring her a, a berry in the morning and like she would draw them pictures and it was this huge thing. And then around eight years old, she was like, huh, are fairies real? And I, my response to her was, well, when you say real, do you mean subtly real or do you mean concretely real? Which she was like kind of an, was an annoying answer <laughs> for her. But I kept answering it that way. And then eventually she began to get, oh, you can have something that's not real in the concrete, but something that is real in the subtle, just like um, good intentions are real mm. in the subtle. And they are, that's, that, that matters. That makes life different. Mm. And so then when it came to Santa Claus, she started thinking a lot like she, her early logic was coming up and she was like, but how, how would he get to everybody's house? And like, how does he know like who the Jewish kids are and like who the Christian, like how, how does he know who to give presents to? And like, wait, something's not. And so eventually we, we sat down with her and we said, okay, so here's the story of St. Nicholas. And he, he has to do with all of these qualities of, of giving and generosity. And there are a lot of people that embody the qualities of Santa Claus. And your question about, is there a single guy named Santa Claus concretely? Well, there might not be a guy that flies and jumps into people's chimneys like that. She never got mad at us for lying to her mm -hmm. about Santa Claus. She was able to transition. And then she felt just as excited to be able to support the younger kids because she somehow got, oh, we're telling these stories for a reason and 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 there's a way that she was able to embrace where she had come from while also stretching into a new territory where there was new logic coming online similarly with the right context and the right support we can help people transition into these meta early metaware stages in such a way that there's not such a profound resistance to everything that came before while also knowing that there probably will be a little bit of need for differentiation and that that's okay. That's, that's, that's just part of healthy, healthy growth. That makes sense. Yeah. Like you, you wouldn't want to like cut off a teenager's impulse to dye their hair. And well, actually some people do, don't they? <laughs> so this is what we're saying, isn't it? You know, this has been the perennial struggle, but you know, with my daughter, I, 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 I like. I hope I can honor her push for individuality, individuation from the family, and um, and I can imagine in this transition from subtle to meta, where that might look like you you, you can um, pick up a system or a, a like you know a developmental theory or systems thinking or IFS, you know, you can actually, you can rec you can pick it up when you want to use it. You know, you're not like, I'm curious what you think about this. It's not like, you're not like certainly like everything's just made up. So well, screw it. But you, you can like recognize there's a, there's a right tool for each. Yeah. For it, right depends on the, it depends on the person. 5.5, um, mm. 5, which is mm. what comes after that early construct aware has a much easier time doing what you're, what you're inviting there um, right. because they get a little more active and they're able to say, um, okay, well, everything's made up. So let's create really amazing constructs. 
and then let's plant seeds in, in culture that are going to grow. Let's find the systems that are all made up and plant them into culture that will um, grow a beautiful future. Um, so they're, they're, they get a little bit more, um, once someone moves out of that transition and out of that first 5.0, we would call it the construct aware stage, and they move to the mature construct aware stage or the 5.5, they're now able to, with much more facility, say, hey, let's now look back at the subtle and let's make some really amazing stuff. Mm. Um, so that it becomes more. Now, the other thing to mention is you have these parts at the subtle collective um, that 5.0 likes to sort of often transcend. But then once you get into the metaware collective, into 6.0 and 6.5, then again, our perspective on what those parts are completely changes. And so even sometimes, even though it might be over, over a client's head, just mentioning something like that, when they're in 5.0, they're like, oh, okay, so there's more to this than just like, holy shit, everything is falling apart. And, and everything that I ever knew was true is just getting destroyed. Maybe there is something later that will happen. They can kind of feel the truth in what's mm. being shared so that it can kind of carry them while they're through sort of a dark moment of transition. I, I get curious about the, when you talk about the 6.0, like I think that's, you know, people listening, that's like a, we're moving into the higher stages of the metaware yeah. and how they relate to parts. That's fascinating to me. I want to come back to that because I can imagine it's where you might really play with like inhabiting a part, you know, just because it's like, hey, it's fun, you know, like, but you do it consciously and you're not acting it out. Maybe you, you, there's, I don't know. I'll ask you about that in a moment, but the, the preceding, the question I want to ask first is, so if someone's reached into that construct aware, then, you know, you said, oh, well, actually one thing that can be very helpful is helping them experience states of qualities of presence or, you know, yeah. like bliss, uh, not bliss, but you said like uh, luminosity or love or, peace perhaps and so that could be really powerful work there but w would you might also weave in like oh and and you know um there is, you said like there's more coming and so you might want to see are there uh, can you kind of re like i don't know what to describe it but you can pick up that 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 sense of like being able to manifest I don't know what you call them, like theories or systems or things in the world, you know. Um, does that make sense? Like what you were describing at that 5.5 stage where suddenly yeah. that sounds like they become really powerful manifestors in a way because they can play with constructed reality. That's right. Would you want to invite someone at a 5.0 stage to begin to play with that or would it be too I soon? Would. It would be like... Yeah, I wouldn't. It would feel... Yeah, no. Um, I would only do that if 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 they were showing signs of having um, each stage has an early and a late aspect to it. So I would want to see that they weren't just in early 5.0 and rocking back and forth between late 4.5 and early 5.0. I would want to see that they had early 5.0 and that they had late 5.0 and that they were themselves were starting to show signs of popping into early 5.5 before I would do that because um, it's not that it would 
um, unless I was being aggressive about it, it's not that it would cause harm per se. It's just, it wouldn't land for them. They would want to deconstruct everything that I was telling them. Um, usually they would just say, Oh yeah, whatever. Like that's just made up too. That's just made up too. That's just made up too. That's kind of what can happen when it's in the early 5.0 space is everything that's said and everything that they're saying, they just, it's like, that's why sometimes they have a hard time completing a full sentence because aside from the fact that all of this information is crashing in all like a thousand ideas or thoughts are just kind of like flowing in so fast and crashing into each other. They'll, they'll try to say a sentence and then they'll deconstruct it while they're saying it. And then they'll try to say another sentence and then they'll deconstruct it while they're saying it. And so they can't get a full coherent sentence out. Mm. So by me trying to bring in the later 5.5, it can often um, just create an environment where, um, yeah, they're just going to do the same thing to whatever I'm saying. Mm-hmm. What I want to do is honor the the prim the primordial patterns of the stage, which one of which is receptivity, one of which is individual, and the other is metaware. So the objects are metaware, which includes uh, awareness, among other things. We're looking at a metaware, newly emerging metaware individual. So that's different than a collective. And it's also a receptive, a receptive territory. So I'm going to be going into and honoring and supporting that receptive individual that's newly emerging. And I'm not going to try to get them to active, which is what's going to, that's what's going to shift when they go into the next stage. Mm And, and you mentioned like um, how someone a later metaware might relate to parts. Yeah. And I, I wonder how, if you'd say a bit more about that. So I can, but I want to I wanna offer just a caveat or just a, yeah. all of these stages, these metaware stages are, are new. And even though we do have a, a fair amount of data, we have enough data to know that there are these four metaware stages and there's a, a nice big chunk of data for the 5.0 and 5.5. There is enough data to know that these 6.0 and 6.5 stages exist, but it's it gets more sparse the higher you go. Yeah. But I want to just say that it's all it's all in the process of forming. So anything that I would say about parts related to 6.0 is not a definitive answer. It is the beginning of an inquiry. So even if I speak about it as if it's so, it's more of uh, something that I would wish would be translated into questions for people that are living in 6.0 to explore. Because even 5.0, in my impression, is, is... what it is, there's still room to, to, to help it um, clarify. You know, it's like we've had, you know, thousands of years to develop some of, some of these stages. And 
with lots of people. I mean, how many of us have been two years old and gone through a two-year-old stage of development? So we've really got the two-year-old stage of development solid. Mm. Whereas these later ones, I might even say maybe even the, the late subtle, it's like there's still room for fleshing the stuff out. So with that, with that said, when we, when we look into the 6.0 and we have this notion of a metaware collective, a different domain of wholeness begins to come online where what we saw as systems in, in the late subtle are now all threads of, of one wholeness. What might have looked like my, my inner child now might just look like a shape of light that is a part of uh, a much larger um, ocean or a much larger mind. And when you're working with, when I've worked with people in, in 6.0 or worked with people that fall into 6.0 during a session, they might be doing parts work. So they might be in the metaware working on the subtle. And then all of a sudden they kind of fall into this place where they realize that there's not one person working on something else. There's only a wholeness working with a wholeness and the parts of the self are not even individual to the individual. Um, they are part of a, a whole collective that is comprised of light. And at the very same time, they are part of an individual. They're part of an individual, but they're also part of a collective and there starts to be uh, uh, an experience of light working with light. It sounds like it starts to get kind of holographic in some sense, you know, like mm -hmm. it's the whole is reflected in parts and vice versa. And that's right. Light and the, and, and what starts to happen in, in the later metaware is, is everything is one whole in 6.0. The, 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 um, everything is a whole, like a, like one big whole ocean. That's kind of, um, everything that's interrelating with everything else, it's all part of one ocean. And then in 6.5, they begin to see a new trajectory, um, mm. which you'll see reflected in some of Wilbur's work um, when he's talking about the world of matter and the world of life and the world of mind, mm. um, which is part of what makes interlegal theory so exciting for people in the late subtle, because there's a there's an octave resonance. They they can understand what he's saying without um, understanding the six point five aspects of what he's saying. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a brand new wholeness that comes online that's in some ways difficult to talk about because those later stages are very experiential in terms of how the whole is known and how one's self is known as a part of that whole and inseparable from it. Hmm. I feel like a kind of crescendo, you know, as we've talked, as we've 
started to talk about these higher stages and um i think this is a we've covered a lot of really juicy territory for me you know and and um i just want to appreciate you alexander where you're coming from as you speak about this work you know that you you bring it alive and it feels to me like it's it's experienced territory and i appreciate that and um thanks for indulging me in my questions as well and um yeah where can we find out more about your work as well yeah so um one one place you can go is the eos learning collective uh, dot com where I have some some things there that would be a place that people could go. I I also um, I have a TED TEDx talk that I did called uh, um, How Embracing Pain Creates a Legacy of Love. So some people might enjoy that as well. Um, I can also be found at at the Newfield Network um, as a part of their their programs. Um, I guess one if it's okay one one final thing I just would love to end on is just to say that. You know, we've looked at all these different particulars and we've talked about stages and we've talked about ontology and epistemology and all these words. And, you know, for me, all of this stuff only matters to the degree that it's embodied and that it's held in a place of, of deep, deep presence of being. And, and then all the particulars fall away and there's really, there's really just there's really just life meeting life. And, and in that place, there's, there's, there's the possibility for, for something profound, profoundly intimate to happen where we can, I say we can wake up together, but really there's only one thing waking up and, and that's us. Thank you so much. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com, put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Mm-hmm.